Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. As a parent, I can tell you that worrying about the health of your unborn baby can be one of the most stressful experiences of your entire life. You instinctively want so badly for them just to be healthy. Life is going to be hard enough no matter what, and you pray or hope or whatever it is you do when you're worried over something you have no control of that they're not going to start their life with some physical or mental disadvantage. The moment my son Kyler was born, I instinctively counted his fingers and toes. Ten? Whew. Thank you. Did the same for my daughter Monroe. Ten again? All right. It's terrifying. Did the ultrasound miss something? Are they going to have a hole in their heart? Are they going to have all their organs, both their eyes, all their chromosomes? Well, what if these worries were a thing of the past? What if you knew what kind of kid you were going to have at conception, knew they'd be tall, healthy, intelligent, athletic, free from any and all disease? Would you give them that gift of certainty if you could? I bet you would. I mean, who wouldn't? What could be wrong with that scenario? It sounds great at the selfish individual level, but what if suddenly you find yourself living in a reality where you can't afford genetic engineering and others can you think your kid's having a hard time making the varsity basketball team now? What if the competition is genetically enhanced to be more athletic than a normal human being? Having a hard time getting into an Ivy League school already? What if the competition has genetically modified brains? The gap between the haves and the have-nots could grow impossibly wide to breach in this brave new reality. Can we stop it? Should we stop it if we can? So many questions. Work and wait. It's time to take it all in and come to your own conclusions on this genetically enhanced, futuristic, post-human edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Cummins, and today's Time Suck is brought to us by Mac Weldon. With smart designs, premium fabrics, and a simple online shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear are definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing. And I can personally vouch for that because I wear them myself. I bought a pair of their 18-hour boxer briefs and ended up wearing them for about 36 hours, even though I did uh, about four hours of yard work on the first day. It's a true story. Woke up the next day, got caught up in some errands, decided to take a shower that night, and totally forgot I was wearing dirty underwear. 
That's how good they are. Mack Weldon's mesh zone design pushed my ball sweat out away from me and into Mother Nature where it belongs instead of letting it turn into some uh, vinegar-based genital stew because no one wants that ever. Max Weldon boxer briefs are so comfortable, once you wear a pair, other underwear will feel like barely pliable sandpaper rubber-banded to your nutsack. So ask yourself, do I like having sandpaper rubber-banded to my raw, slightly swollen sack? Or do I want to have my balls held by the hands of a firm but soothing Mack Weldon boxer brief weaving penis angel? And they have a lot more than boxers, luxurious socks, a grown-up hoodie you can wear everywhere. I have one of those and I do. Awesome t-shirts and so much more. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. It's like they're hitting the bench press while you're doing squats. Or maybe it's nothing like that. Maybe they're just awesome even when you're lazy and terrible. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally odor-eliminating antimicrobial. And they're shipped right to your door so you don't have to go shopping and lose focus because you want to punch some other customers in the face at an actual store. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. And they will still refund your money. No questions asked. So go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and get 20% off your purchase when you punch in the promo code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's right. Go to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off. That's a lot off. Using our very own discount promo, TIMESUCK. One word, no spaces. TIMESUCK at MacWeldon.com. Thanks again. For all you time suckers who have bookmarked timesuckpodcast.com and use that Amazon button to show the show uh, some support while you shop. And uh, those of you who purchased that first generation Time Suck t-shirt made out of 99% hamster eyelids and 1% hamster tears. Uh, hopefully next week I'll be telling you the second generation shirt is in production. The design is supposed to be done today, uh, later today. So appreciate the uh, emails and iTunes reviews. The 600 review JFK conspiracy episode is going to be here fast if the current pace continues. Adding all your episode suggestions to the list. And sorry I haven't got back to messages the past few weeks. These uh, these past few time sucks really did suck up all my free time. So uh, I think this next week I'll be a little caught up and start getting back. Uh, thanks to Alec Robbins, Henry Waters, Willie Hughes, at Mintron1210 on Instagram, and anyone else I may have missed for asking for this particular time suck. I learned a lot, and I hope you do too. And now let's find out uh, where and how I inevitably fucked up in the continually self-shaming segment, I probably never should have started, but I can't bring myself to stop. Let's get into some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. Kai Carlson wrote in with the subject line of, To our Lord and Master of Suck. That definitely brought a big smile to my face. Saying, I was listening to your episode on Pablo the Dirtbag Escobar and noticed you have a bit of a problem with Spanish names and mangled Che Guevara. Che Guevara, and she showed me the pronunciation. Otherwise, it was a real insightful episode. Keep up the suck. I'm sorry, maybe a he. I know I actually know a, a he Kai and a she Kai in real life. Uh, so Che Guevara, Che Guevara. Damn it, fucking thank you, Kai. Damn it, that was one of those names I should have looked up on YouTube for sure. I thought I had it, and I was wrong. Uh, bouncer from one region of the world to another week to week, uh, and trying to pronounce uh, Roman names one week and like Spanish the next. Uh, not easy for a dude who apparently has trouble pronouncing even English words. But I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. I also learned that Norman's K is actually Norman's key. It's Norman's key. Uh, when referring to the small island of the Bahamas that Pablo used as a refueling spot for his drug smuggling planes uh, from Joey, who has a last name I also don't know how to pronounce for sure because last names don't come with attached uh, phonetic audio files to teach you exactly how to say them uh, when you're only reading them. Kind of like how I'm only reading uh, the thousands of goddamn names I listen to all these fucking episodes. Anywho, uh, Joey's subject line is maybe Bojangles should do your research. 
And Joey says, just finished your Pablo motherfucking Escobar podcast and cringed whenever you pronounced key. It's pronounced key even though it looks like K. Uh, a K, pronounced key, is a small, low island consisting of mostly sand or coral and situated on top of a coral reef. Bahamas is full of keys. In fact, Disney uh, had their own private island just north of the Bahamas called Castaway Key. And I would love to wear a Bojangles t-shirt. Keep on sucking, you master sucker. Well, for the record, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this key is spelled C-A-Y. Fucking English, C-A-Y is pronounced K. Goddamn fucking K-Keys. And I think a Bojangles shirt does have to happen. I think it needs to be a third-generation shirt, because I already got the second one getting ready. And, uh, and I've already actually reached out to another artist to get that shit locked and loaded. All right. Found out I used uh, another word I just made up last week. Turns out uh, irrep- irreparably is not, is not a word at all. I use a lot of those made-up words. God damn it, Time Sucker Will Burnson and a few others called me out. Will wrote him with a subject line of, God damn it, Danny, lock it down. Saying, Dan, I'm not going to beat around the bush here, man. In the Marilyn Monroe episode, which was fucking phenomenal, thank you, Will, for that, uh, you kept using the word irreparably, which does not exist. The word is irreparably. And then he said a whole bunch of other nice things because he's a gentleman, and as a time sucker, he's clearly a top-tier member of the human race, as you all are. Man, after the past few months of corrections, I have a newfound respect for anyone uh, from a foreign country who's learned to speak English fluently. This language is a motherfucker. Uh, aggressive call-out from Josh DeCruz on the subject line of, uh, you absolute shit stick. Josh says, Viceroy, it's in the name, dude. Like the magazine you literally referenced not so long ago. Vice, like Miami Vice, and Roy, like boy, but with an R. Viceroy. Christ on a corn ship. Have you ever watched Phantom Menace? They say Viceroy about 27,000 times. Keep giving me that good suck. Hi from Atlanta. Best wishes, Josh. Well, he ends on a sweet note, doesn't he? So that's positive. Uh, Josh is referring to me mentioning the Viceroy of Granada being founded in 1711 when speaking about Columbia's history. I fucking knew I should check that word too. I called it Viceroy. God damn it. I think I may have some kind of brain disorder when it comes to properly pronouncing words. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's called being kind of dumb and it affects nearly all of us from time to time. Uh, quick Instagram update. Check out some amazing Bojangles artwork created by some time suckers, Thomas Royal and uh, Reese Bank on my Instagram page at Dan Cummins Comedy. So cool. I've always envied people who are talented when it comes to drawing, man, painting, et cetera. Highly suggest you check out their work. Uh, again, in my Instagram, uh, at Dan Cummins Comedy is where those uh, pictures are posted. And finally, this is from Zachary Summers. After a subject line of, here's the deal, Dan, he says, sackadogshit.com is an actual place in the form of shitsenders.com, a website that will anonymously send elephant, gorilla, or cow shit to a hated individual in your life. You're welcome, everybody. I repeat, shitsenders.com. Well, I looked it up. And while I can't vouch for it, I haven't tried using it yet, uh, shitcenters.com does appear to be a real business, a gag business of some sort. There's a fucking website for everything. Well, thanks for the extra knowledge, time suckers. Love the reciprocal suck. I suck you, you suck me. Just a big circle of suck. Now let's get curious. Let's all get sucked into the exciting and terrifying world of genetic modification. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Okay, with a, with a complex subject like this, I, I do find sometimes that Wikipedia is a good place to start off. You know, get the basics from there, uh, you know, and then move on. So Wikipedia uh, defines designer babies as, quote, Designer babies are human infants artificially produced by the world's top designers, such as Ralph Lauren, Mark Jacobs, and Tom Ford. Designer babies have high cheekbones, uh, a disdain for anything reasonably priced, and an irrational fear of food that isn't organic and doesn't involve either kale or or acai berries. Designer babies are aesthetically pleasing to the eye, but tend to be uptight, anxious, emotionally fragile, and prone to eating disorders. No, 
Now, Wikipedia doesn't say any of that. Uh, Wikipedia says a designer baby is a human embryo that has been genetically modified, uh, usually following guidelines set by the parent or scientist to produce desirable traits. All right, all right, so which traits exactly are we talking about here? After hitting up a lot of articles, uh, apparently just about anything, intelligence, looks, muscle mass, eye color, hair color, sight, hearing, even personality and disposition, and so much more could be uh, eventually uh, genetically engineered. But before we get into the how and the should we, I was curious as to what we've already done. Well, uh, on August 29th, 2000, Adam Nash, the world's first designer baby, was born. His parents decided it was critically important for their son to have a penis somewhere between 8 and 10 inches long after Adam's father spent a lifetime being ridiculed for his 1.5-inch micropenis. While the procedure worked, young Adam ended up being ridiculed anyway due to his penis being a full 10 inches long uh, at birth. Initially, the doctor and nurses honestly thought he had a third leg with some kind of tiny, wonky foot at the end. And of course, Adam now goes by the nickname of Kickstand. Now, of course, that's not true. But he was born on August, August 29th, 2000, and Adam Nash is the world's first designer baby. Uh, he was conceived through in vitro fertilization and pre-implementation genetic diagnosis, PGD. So he could donate his cord blood to his sister, his umbilical cord blood. Uh, Molly, who was born with uh, Fanconi anemia. Fanconi anemia is a disease passed down through families. It's an inherited disease that mainly affects the bone marrow. It results in decreased production of all types of blood cells and hurts one's ability to fight off infection amongst many other terrible symptoms, uh, so it's obviously very problematic and can be fatal. In addition to being the world's first designer baby, Adam's also been referred to as a savior sibling for saving uh, yeah, his uh, sister's life. You know, Adam inspired the 2004 Jody Pico novel, My Sister's Keeper, which led to the 2009 Cameron's Diaz, Cameron Diaz film, My Sister's Keeper, uh, which led to me never watching uh, the, the fucking movie or reading the book, because it came out a few weeks after The Hangover, and it seemed like it was going to be a bummer. It seemed super sad and downer. Well, I read a little bit about it now, and, and it looks like maybe it's okay. Uh, spoiler alert, hit the mute button for about 30 seconds if you haven't seen this movie in the last fucking 13 years. And it's, oh wait, that was the book. <laughs> Sorry, if you haven't seen this movie in the last eight years, and, and you still want it, you're still getting around to watching it, just hold on for like 30 seconds. Hit the mute button for 30 seconds. Here's a spoiler alert. Six sister dies. The sixth sister dies, all right? She fucking dies. The sixth sister the next kid was given birth to in order to donate a kidney to keep her sister alive dies. She was tired of fighting cancer, didn't want to be kept alive with her sister's organs that might not keep her alive much longer anyway. So, uh, yeah, fun movie. Well, in real life, the sister doesn't die. Uh, yeah, like, like I said, the plan worked. Adam Nash's un- unbiblical cord, uh, blood, saved uh, his big sister Molly's life. So this is an example of an uh, unequivocal win for genetic engineering, I think. But even though in this isolated example, the results to me are obviously positive, not everyone thinks this should have been done. Uh, there are a large number of people who believe life starts with a fertilized egg. And many of these people saw the Nashes as murderers. Why? Because the Nashes created 30 embryos and went through four rounds of in vitro fertilization to finally produce Adam, who was the match Molly needed. Now, the problem here for some is that these other 29 embryos were tossed out. They were tossed out. Uh, they were thrown in the trash. They were, they were taken out back and thrown in a bigger pile of trash. And, and then they were shit on. And then finally they were set on fire. Okay, they were not shit on or set on fire, but they were tossed in the trash. Adam was chosen. Uh, 29 other human lives were not, simply because their DNA was not able to rescue Molly from the deadly diagnosis. Again, uh, I personally don't believe that a small cluster of cells is anything other than that. A small cluster of cells. I wouldn't feel any more guilt uh, about throwing that out uh, than I do about uh, cleaning a little alone time off myself at a hotel bed when I'm out on the road. To me, a cluster that hasn't developed yet into a being capable of any thought whatsoever, let alone self-reflection or consciousness uh, or awareness of its own life, has no value. 
But uh, not everyone believes that. Some people believe that life and soul began with conception, and, and, and that makes Adam's case problematic. So as you can see, genetic engineering is very controversial uh, culturally, just kind of uh, just just the foundation of it, just the, the just the very concept of it is controversial. Uh, but this little uh, genetic st- screening we're talking about is just the tip of the genetic engineering iceberg. Uh, before we explain the rest, though, I, I do want to kind of explain what the scientists did in Adam's case. You know, like like I want to know what what is PGD or pre-implementation genetic diagnosis. Well, PGD is the genetic profiling of embryos prior to implementation. And if I understand it correctly, it's basically an advanced form of genetic screening as opposed to what we'll be talking about soon, uh, which to me is much more exciting, which is active genetic manipulation. With PGD, multiple test tube embryos are created using donor eggs and sperm, test tube babies to be artificially inseminated with in vitro fertilization, and then before being implanted in the womb, specialists screen them for the desired traits, pick the one with the correct blood type or the one with the correct gender, whatever, toss the rest out, and then shit on them and set them on fire. Uh, but with PGD, there are a lot of limits to what can be accomplished, right? Like if everyone in your family has brown eyes, black hair, and is under five foot three, it's not like you're going to use PGD, to, uh, PGD to have a boy who has red hair, green eyes, and is seven foot five. Not that anyone would pick a human of that size and look under any circumstances. Nothing against redheads. There's a lot of good looking redheads out there, but no one wants a seven foot five inch tall redhead. You you have to know that. No one would pick that. Even if both parents were seven foot five inch redheads, they would still pass on a kid who's going to look like them. They know better than anybody how hard it was to grow up as an unfuckable ginger giant. Basically, uh, with PGD, uh, if you have, for example, a two in three chance of passing on a genetic disorder to your offspring, uh, you can have three embryo- embryos created and pick the one embryo that definitely doesn't have the disorder. All right. So other than, uh, you know, uh, picking Adam uh, to cure his sister, what else have scientists already done with genetic engineering? Uh, for that uh, info, let's go into the world of plants and animals, where life hasn't just been screened, but actually modified, altered, engineered. Yeah, buddy. Sci-fi, here we come. Modification is a big next step, and cracking open that Pandora's box uh, could eventually have insane and extreme consequences, I believe, for humanity. Okay, well, back in 1983... Genetic scientists were able to bring Bojangles back to life. One eye, three legs, all ass-kicking pit bull. Kept cryogenically frozen in an underground laboratory since 1968, Bojangles was genetically modified so that his single front leg would be ten times as strong as either one of Steven Seagal's legs and twenty times as deadly. His good eye was given x-ray and laser capabilities. He was tripled in size. His teeth were sharpened, made stronger than titanium. And he was sent on a mission to defend South Korea from North Korean Communist Korean People's Army government destabilization and political assassination attempts. He was partnered with CIA, secret operative, and five-time Grammy-winning keyboard and vocalist Michael motherfucking McDonald, triple M at the height of his powers. And he was also partnered with FBI informant and 14-time Grammy nominee James Ingram using their Yamo B there Grammy winning R and mother sucking beat collaboration as a clever ruse to cover up their true commitment defending freedom domestically and abroad. I can picture it now. McDonald, in a suit as breathtakingly white as his hair, riding atop a genetically modified Bojangles through the South Korean countryside, eyes peeled for communists, machine gun in hand. James Ingram, also in a white suit, so they match like the fucking Yacht Rock champions they are, rides behind him because no one, I mean fucking no one, rides in front of Triple M. James holds a smaller machine gun in his hand so everyone knows who the real lead singer and head of the mission is. Both men are prepared to do whatever it takes to thwart the foreign forces of mayhem, possibly even practicing their award-winning, soul-caressing harmonies as they defend democracy. 
Yamo time suck. Mm-hmm. Yamo time suck. Ho ho ho. Yamo time suck. Okay. Ooh. I'm back. I'm back. You're probably not. You're probably not. You are probably recovering from a vicious McDonalding. That one was fucking rough, but I need you to refocus. I need you to stop thinking about me poorly singing, Yamo time suck. Stop thinking about that. Get it out of your head. Let's talk about some real genetic engineering feats. Let's talk about some cray-cray genetically modified animals that are out there already. Like Dolly the Sheep. Most of you have uh, probably heard of Dolly the Sheep. In 1996, British scientists created the first cloned sheep named Dolly by transferring the nucleus from an adult cell into an unfertilized premature egg whose nucleus had been removed. Sounds crazy. A process called nuclear transfer. Uh, uh, Very similar to the process used to raise Bojangles back from the dead. I hope I'm saying uh, uh, nuclear. Correct. I know I was correct on that before, and now it's fucking in my head because of all these goddamn updates, and I don't remember if I was saying it the right way the first time. Uh, or now the wrong way, but I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna have to go with uh, nuclear is how I is how I want to say it. Well, Dolly wasn't as lucky as Bojangles. Uh, sadly, Dolly uh, died of a lung disease at the age of six. No word on if the sheep that she was cloned from died of this uh, same disease. Uh, I remember when I first heard about Dolly, it blew my fucking mind, man. Cloning, whether you agree with it being ethical or not, you can't deny that it's an incredible scientific accomplishment to clone something. Uh, in 2007, South Korean scientists altered a cat's DNA to make it glow in the dark. Because South Koreans are super fucking weird. This is the country that brought us uh, Gangnam Style back in 2012. This is a country where numerous bakeries uh, make poop-shaped cookies. True story. And where cleavage is frowned upon. What the fuck? Anyway, uh, scientists took the altered DNA and cloned other cats from it, creating a set of fluffy, fluorescent felines. The researchers took skin cells from Turkish Angora female cats and used a virus to insert genetic instructions for making red fluorescent protein. Uh, they are pretty cute, actually. And uh, they put these uh, gene-altered nuclei into the eggs for cloning, and the cloned embryos were implanted back into the donor cats, making the cats the surrogate mothers for their own clones. So weird. They did this. <laughs> That's so weird. They're giving birth to their clones. They did this so later they can introduce human diseases into cats to study and work on treatments for the diseases, but not have to follow the ethical guidelines you'd have to follow for human experimentation. So the, the prepping them to die of horrible diseases, uh, not as cute. Uh, smart, though. You know, you have two truly identical cats or multiple identical cats. You can set up the perfect scientific experiments because you have the perfect control group and can absolutely control all the variables. But, man, talk about another ethical dilemma. Like, is it okay to torture and kill uh, hundreds or thousands of animals, intentionally give them horrible diseases and painful treatments if the end result is the eradication of some human disease? Some say definitely. Others say no way. As someone who loves my kids but also loves my puppy Penny... A uh, little Penny, who's recovering from getting spayed uh, a few days ago right now. She's around here somewhere. A uh, little Penny, uh, who gets so many snuggles every day from Daddy, because I am disgusting when it comes to the affection I show my dog. Uh, I'm not sure where I stand on this. Uh, on the one hand, I don't want to stand in the way of some illness that afflicts children being cured. But on the other hand, I don't want various lab animals being harmed in a non-natural way. And then on my third hand, topping off my genetically modified third fucking power arm, I treat myself to some froyo and don't worry about the argument anymore. Seriously, though, it, it's tough, you know? It's not like these animals would be injected with human diseases out in the wild. I don't know. I feel like the rational, cold, logical part of me says, go ahead and experiment on animals, you know? But then the emotional part of me says, don't you dare fucking touch them. You try and give Penny some disease and I'll bat your fucking skull in. All right. Well, in 2012, scientists at the University of Wyoming uh, engineered goats 
uh, to produce a protein found in spider silk in the goat's milk. Silk is useful for a variety of applications in materials science and medicine, and it's hard to get spiders to make enough of it. I bet. I bet. Uh, I would think it would also be hard to milk goats to get enough silk. Uh, but what do I know? And this made me think, like, are spiders really being farmed for silk? That is so creepy. Uh, actually, I found out most silk comes from silkworms, uh, way less creepy than spiders. But I did also find out that, that people have actually made fabric out of silk taken from actual spiders in places like Madagascar. They, people have harvested silk from the giant golden orb spider in Madagascar. That has to be one of the worst jobs ever even thought up. I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say that you do? I, um, I, uh, I, I harvest uh, silk from, from giant African spiders. How do you do that? <sighs> well, um, first I park my car in the spider farm parking lot. And then for about 20 minutes, I uh, just kind of sit there and, and quietly cry. Then after uh, deciding not to kill myself that day, I, I spend eight hours, uh, about eight hours, uh, covered in spiders uh, that look like they just crawled out of one of the devil's own nightmares. And then I go back to my car, I uh, cry again for a while, and then I go home, uh, I take a two to three hour shower, uh, cry a little bit more, and then I take enough coating to either dream, uh, not dream, or never wake up again. <laughs> okay. Also in 2012, uh, Ag Research, a company owned by the New Zealand government, uh, engineered a cow to produce milk with one of the proteins that many people are allergic to, uh, known as uh, lactoglobulin, with a funny-shaped B in front of it. The milk also contained more casin, uh, a nutritious protein found in milk. As someone who's lactose intolerant uh, but loves cheese, got to say, big fan of this one. Thank you, scientists. I have no ethical problems whatsoever when it comes to removing lactose from cows. I want to say that right now. I'd like to remove it from goats as well, if you don't mind. Maybe those spider fucking goats. All right? I'd love to enjoy a block of Gouda that doesn't turn my bowels into a weapon of mass destruction. All right. Well, here's another animal that's it's, uh, not cool, in my opinion. Scientists in Israel uh, have created a prototype of a breed of featherless chickens that can save chicken farmers time on plucking, a chicken that is more environmentally friendly and also significantly cheaper to raise. They are also the saddest looking animal I've ever seen in my fucking life. <laughs> it is in just so preposterously sad looking. They look like a cooked chicken breast with legs and a head. They look like a walking meal. Like you might as well have like the to-go box around its torso. It just doesn't know it's dead yet. It's so horrific. It's so sad. Like what next? Chickens that just shit honey mustard sauce that you can use to dip their carcasses in? Maybe chickens that instead of clucking, just start yapping, you know? Just time to boil me. Time to boil me. Ready for the deep fryer. Ready for the deep fryer. You know, when they're at the tastiest. Despite the numerous benefits uh, featherless chickens will provide, there are some uh, serious drawbacks to consider. Mother Nature uh, wouldn't give chickens feathers if she thought they were useless. The feathers on the chicken are there to protect chickens uh, from parasites, harsh weather conditions, and overzealous cocks that can hurt the hen's skin when mating. But hey, you know, fuck chickens, right? Who's with me? Only a couple people? Okay. All right, now let's talk about CRISPR. Let's talk about some CRISPR pigs. We even might uh, start to have genetically modified pets soon. Scientists in China used a new genome editing technique I'm going to talk about a lot later called CRISPR-Cas9 to modify the genes of Bama pigs in order to create tiny micro pigs, which they plan to sell commercially. And I got to say, tiny pigs, way cuter than featherless chickens. Uh, not sure why shrinking an animal seems more benevolent, uh, benevolent, excuse me, benevolent, I said that fucking correctly, than taking his feathers, but it does. Uh, bald chicken, sad, tiny pig, adorable. More on the CRISPR method of genetic modification just a bit, by the way. Uh, a lot of our food has also been modified. In fact, most of us, uh, if not almost all of us, probably eat some type of genetically altered food every single day. 
vegetables have been genetically modified for years now. Almost 85% of America's corn has been genetically modified to become more resistant to herbicides used to kill weeds. Almost all U.S. soy has been genetically modified. The largest U.S. producer of hybrid seeds for agriculture— uh, Pioneer Hybrid International created a genetically engineered soybean, which was approved in 2010. It is modified to have a high level of oleic acid, which is naturally found in olive oil. Uh, oleic acid is a monosaturated omega-9 fatty acid that may uh, lower LDL cholesterol, the, the bad stuff, supposedly, uh, when used to replace other fats. Uh, by the way, whoever's taking the time to make all these how-to-pronounce videos on YouTube for all these science words, thank you so much. You are saving me uh, so much ridicule and critical emails right now. Uh, sugar beets, about half of all sugar in the U.S. now comes from sugar beets because since 2008, nearly all the farmers who grow sugar beets in the U.S. decided to start growing genetically modified versions of their crops. The GMO beets, uh, GMO, that common term turned around, mean genetically modified organism, uh, which can tolerate the weed killer uh, glyphosate, otherwise known as Roundup, uh, made it easier for them to get rid of weeds. Hopefully, scientists will figure out uh, how to make sugar beets that don't smell like uh, rancid skunk when they go through a processing plant sometime soon. Have you ever driven by one of those fucking beet plants? I have. There's some in southern Idaho. Uh, I don't know if it's like the chemicals they use during processing, but the stink is almost unimaginable. It makes you think they have some kind of death plant there. It's like instead of a sugar beet plant. It it always reminds me of that old Soylent Green quote. It's, it's, It's people. Soylent Green is made out of people. Uh, papayas are even GMOs now. In, 19, in the 1990s, uh, Hawaiian papaya trees were plagued by the ring spot virus, which decimated nearly half the crop in the state. And then in 1998, scientists developed a transgenic fruit called rainbow papaya, which is resistant to the virus and creates a small protective rainbow uh, around the person who eats the uh, papaya that blocks harmful sun rays and nurtures you emotionally. Okay, it's actually just resistant to the ring spot virus. But uh, now 77% uh, of the crop grown in Hawaii is genetically engineered. Uh, milk, uh, RGBH, or recombinant bovine growth hormone, is genetically engineered variation on a naturally occurring hormone injected into dairy cows to increase milk production. This is probably what I, this, I feel like this is the one that most people have heard of and are scared of. Uh, you know, the hormone fucking laden milk. It's, uh, it's banned. It's a milk banned uh, uh, in Europe, uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. Not in the U.S. though. So I guess we're the we're the guinea pigs. Many milk brands that are, are, are GBH-free uh, label their milk as such, but about 40% of our dairy products, including ice cream and cheese, do contain this hormone. And, and again, it's this particular GMO, uh, or genetically modified organism, that scares the shit out of a lot of people right now. You know, the, all that, look how big that 12-year-old is. It's all those hormones they're putting in the milk. My 10-year-old just hit puberty. It's all the hormones they're putting in the milk. My grandma just fucking Daryl Dawkins slam dunked a fucking basketball on the 12-foot rim. It's all those hormones put in the milk. But seriously, a lot of concerns out there uh, that these foods are bad for us, uh, that altered food is altering us. Well, I looked into it. Is, is it really? Right? Because this is a big issue with a lot of people. I know my wife Lindsay worries about GMOs in our food and tries to avoid buying them. But are they really dangerous? According to a 2015 survey by the Pew Research Center, probably not. Uh, nearly 9 out of 10 scientists from the American Association for the Advancement of Science say GMOs are, quote, generally safe to eat. Though if you're more uh, – uh, like, also, it said that more than half of U.S. adults from the general public in the same survey uh, think that you probably shouldn't eat them. And if you're a critically thinking adult, you have the right to be a little worried when the scientist's placement uh, of the word generally with that placement. Why couldn't 9 out of 10 scientists fucking say that GMOs are definitely safe or super safe or safe as fuck? No, they go with generally. 
I can't ask these scientists why they uh, came to that generally conclusion, but after a lot of research, I think it's, I think it's just because GMOs haven't been uh, uh, known to definitely contribute to any problems yet, but they also haven't been around long enough for a longitudinal study to be conducted and properly ascertain uh, you know, the true long-term effects. But again, should we be worried? I mean, you know, it's not like GMOs. I don't, I don't know. It's not like GMOs are the first organisms to, uh, to have their genes altered if you look at evolution, so maybe we shouldn't. You know, changes to, to genes were already happening in nature, naturally. In fact, no matter what's on your menu, it isn't exactly the same as what grew hundreds or thousands of years ago at the genetic level. You know, bits of DNA called genes are responsible for all sorts of characteristics and traits in every living thing, from height to how certain cells work. Useful traits help the plants and animals with them survive or thrive uh, better than the ones without them, so they get passed along and eventually become common. You know, this is good old evolution, just doing this thing naturally, organic GMO, if you will, like a little bit of natural selection, you know, slowly modified over time. Our ancestors sped up the process when they saved seeds of cream of the crop plants to grow the next time, you know, and the next and the next and the next. That's what turned all those small bunches of, uh, you know, like uh, uh, tiny kennels on on fucking tall grass 10,000 years ago into the big ears of juicy corn on the cob that we have today. Human-assisted evolution. Well, with animals, uh, pigs the litter, you know, were paired to breed uh, new and improved babies. You know, my dog Penny's an example of this. My, an Australian Labradoodle selectively bred to be so goddamn cute you can't train it properly because it breaks your heart to even yell at it, right? You don't want to upset it. Penny wasn't, you know, genetically modified in the lab, but she was artificially created in some sense. It's not like, you know, there used to be little pennies out there in nature, out there in the wild, thank God. They never would have fucking made it. I'm pretty sure even a small muskrat could take her soft candy ass down if she ever ran out into nature. Here's another argument in favor of GMOs I'd never thought of before researching this topic. As the population grows, it's going to be harder to feed everybody, right? The Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations estimates food production will need to double in some parts of the world by 2050 to make sure everyone has enough to eat. GMOs are one way to make enough nutritious food available with limited land, water, and other resources. Uh, Another way to fix this problem is to put Bojangles in charge. Right of a one-world government, he makes the calls, who lives, who dies, who scratches his soft, tender belly and gets his leg kicking uncontrollably as his tongue flops out of the side of his mouth, and he knows he looks silly, but he just can't stop because it feels so good. <laughs> it feels so good, sweet mama. But seriously, feeding the ever-growing population of the planet creates a strong pro-argument for GMOs, right? You fucking hippies and your organic farmer's market fruit bullshit stands aren't going to cut it, even though I love those places and find it quite delicious. And again, scientists are, uh, they are monitoring, you know, how these new crops affect us. Another group of scientists did an extensive review of research on the safety of crops from GMOs over the past 10 years and found no significant harm directly tied to genetic engineering. Yet, despite no evidence, some people do fear, all right, that you could become genetically modified yourself from eating GMO food. You know, you drink too much hormone milk and you're going to sprout a fucking second head or something. Uh, But this thought is what a lot of prominent scientists are calling, uh, quote, a bunch of silly horse shit. And they've asked the general population to, quote, stop being alarmist, silly dickweeds. All right, but that, that didn't happen. Excuse me. But seriously, genetic material uh, doesn't get tacked on like pin the tail on the donkey. All right, an added gene isn't going to fall off uh, some hormone-laden milk you've just drank and get stuck to your genes. Bacteria-fighting enzymes and processes in your body are designed to prevent a genetic invasion. As a report from the American Medical Association's Council on Science and Public Health explains, if an outside germ somehow survived digestion and got into your gut bacteria, it would have to be enough like your own DNA in just the right place at just the right time to glom onto one of your genes and change it, which kind of like, you know, the uh, generally modifier above kind of terrifies me in addition to assuring me. 
So right, so right now, apparently the GMOs are fine, but if some bioterrorist were to add the right kind of human-like DNA alteration to the code, it sounds like maybe something could change us. I mean, that's what I take from that. But, you know, full disclosure, I couldn't find any scientific documentation that, documentation that says that's a, something to be worried about. Uh, my imaginary research assistant, Bojangles, however, says he found a shitload of documentation that says I'm right to be nervous. Uh, here's another thought on GMO food to put things in perspective. Uh, it's just as possible or impossible, depending on how you look at it, for non-GMO foods to also change your genes. Anything you eat has DNA that's foreign to you, GMO or not. Again, kind of reassuring, kind of scary, but mostly reassuring, I think. You know, just like some GMO could theor- theoretically, you know, possibly alter us in some way, so could, so could some good old farmer's market huckleberry jam uh, organic delicious nonsense. Uh, but what about the whole early puberty fear around GMO hormones, right? The big concern I've always heard uh, revolves around, uh, you know, these like, you know, making kids grow up too fast. Well, this phenomenon is called precocious puberty. Some doctors do think it's happening with greater frequency since the 1990s, especially among girls, but they're not certain it has anything to do with GMOs, right? Because there's a lot of other factors. Uh, other factors that have been implicated, you know, uh, besides hormones in food, uh, hormone mimicking pollutants in the waterways, uh, and even non-hormonal changes like increased exposure to sex in the mass media. Also, not all scientists are convinced that even an actual rise in precocious puberty uh, exists. Reports have been anecdotal, and studies have been smaller and conclusive. Precocious puberty, by the way, is defined as the onset of puberty before age 7 or 8 in girls or age 9 in boys. This is a range, and this has been part of the problem of establishing the normal age of puberty. Girls might enter full-blown puberty anytime between ages 9 and 15, boys between 11 and 17. Uh, But then there's like Clint Eastwood, you know, for example, who hit puberty in the second trimester in his mom's fucking tummy and had a receding hairline by his third trimester. You know, he was born a fully formed, world-weary man with crow's feet around his eyes. He was never a boy. You show me one photo of a baby-faced Clint Eastwood. Uh, From everything I've read, it's probably not milk doing it, even if there is a rise in early puberty. The science just doesn't work out. When precocious puberty entered the radar screen in the early 1990s, the first uh, suspects were hormones uh, and milk and meats, particularly the artificial bovine growth hormone we've talked about, RBGH, but this is a protein hormone that gets completely destroyed in human digestion, not a steroid hormone like estrogen. Uh, In the words of Dr. Terry Etherton, an animal nutrition professor from Pennsylvania State University, there are zillions of protein hormones in both plant and animal foods. Zillions. They are digested in the stomach, which kills their ability to have any biological activity. There is just no way to come to a science-based conclusion that hormones in food or dairy products cause early puberty. Thanks, Terry. Makes me feel better about my milk. So worry if you want to about GMOs and our food, but your fears are probably unfounded. The fear is probably just based in the fear of something new and the fear of the unknown. Aren't we always afraid to change? Or maybe you should be scared uh, because maybe everyone in power is lying to us and the earth is flat and the space lizards control our every thought and move. Uh, that's also an option if you don't care about science or logic. Okay. Now, let's talk about CRISPR. Uh, I first heard of CRISPR from some of you time suckers as you wrote in with some uh, show suggestions. I'll be honest. I just added it to the list. I didn't look it up uh, what the acronym even meant. I assumed it was an acronym for some conspiracy theory or something to do with genetic modification. Well, now I know that CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, stands for Chronically Recurring Itchy Syphilis Penis Rash. And I can tell you from personal experience, you don't want to catch it. All right, sweet Christ, you do not want to catch it. It is crazy. You play one game of, does anyone know where I just stuck my wiener for a few hours with some strangers at a campground in 1997, and the next thing you know, you got yourself a case of the CRISPR. No, CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats 
whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> well, whatever all those words mean, uh, it's currently the simplest, most versatile, and precise method of genetic manipulation known as CRISPR-Cas9. This system consists of two key molecules that introduce a change, uh, a mutation, into the DNA. There's an enzyme called Cas9 that acts as a pair of molecular scissors that can cut the two strands of DNA at a specific location in the genome so that bits of DNA can then be added or removed. And then there's a piece of RNA called guide RNA that consists of a small piece of pre-designed RNA sequence about 20 bases long uh, located with a longer RNA scaffold. The scaffold part binds to DNA and the pre-designed sequence guides Cas9 to the right part of the genome. This makes sure that the Cas9 enzyme cuts the right point in the genome. At this stage, the cell recognizes that the DNA is damaged and tries to repair it. Scientists can then use the DNA repair machinery to introduce changes to one or more genes in the genome of a cell they're working on. In theory, this could lead to almost unlimited genetic manipulation. Now, if you're confused as to what all those terms meant uh, and you want a deeper explanation, I want you to go fuck yourself. Right? Who do you think you're listening to? Right? There's a reason human ecology was the only uh, science class I took in college. All I had to learn was that polluting the environment was bad, and I had to go on one field trip to a landfill. It was the only science class offered at Gonzaga that you could pass without learning a single equation. Now, if you need more in-depth master's-level scientific explanation, you go listen to Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson or some other scientific intellectual, and then please, please uh, report back to us. Uh, what it sounds like to me that they're saying is like genetic editing is, uh, with a process like CRISPR is kind of like um, computer programming. You know, like you want your website... Um, now I'm blanking on the, the, the language I use for a little bit of website updates, but, but um, ah, shit, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. The process is what's important here. You know, like you want your website to have a different font, you go in and change the code a little bit. You replace one section of letters, spaces, symbols, and numbers with other letters, spaces, symbols, and numbers, and then presto changeo, you know, now you're seeing Courier instead of Times New Roman on the website. You know, I think it's similar to that. You want brown eyes instead of blue, all right? You go and replace that little section of brown eye code with some blue eye code, and then presto changeo, you got fucking new colored eyes. So, uh, so what do geneticists think that CRISPR is going to be able to do? Uh, well, uh, it's already doing some things in the animal world. This is uh, blows my mind. Uh, it's cured muscular dystrophy in mice. Check that shit out. Duchenne muscular dystrophy is caused by a mutation that prevents the body from producing the dystrophin uh, protein, a critical protein in the development of muscle tissue. People who have this genetic mutation suffer from muscle degeneration that is ultimately fatal. Because the mutation that causes muscular dystrophy affects one specific gene, the disease is the prime target for using CRISPR. Uh, researchers successfully treated muscular dystrophy in lab mice in January of 2016 using CRISPR to cut and repair the dystrophin gene, as I talked about earlier. That sounds really nice, you know, about helping those mice until you realize that those same scientists probably gave those mice MS in the first place. Still, for MS sufferers, amazing. And going back to our earlier debate about experimentation on animals to benefit humans... Are you cool with this example, right? Really think about that. Do you mind the fact that probably thousands of mice, thousands of living creatures were given MS and then died of MS in order to finally achieve this result? All right, are you cool with that? Well, now let's change it a little bit. Let's replace mice with hamsters. Maybe you had one as a pet as a kid. Maybe you have one now. Now how do you feel? Now replace hamsters with cats. Same experiment. Now replace cats with dogs. Now replace, I'm being serious, replace dogs with puppies. All right? Now let's say, you know, it is puppies. Let's say it is puppies. That's what the people have to, they have to experiment on puppies. But now think about, you have MS. Or maybe your mom does. Or maybe your kid. Would you let puppies be experimented on and die over and over and over again 
in some sterile laboratory where they never get to be pets if it could save your mom's life. Not such an easy fucking choice, is it? Right? This is, again, so many dilemmas, so many ethical dilemmas around this uh, genetic uh, modification and engineering experimentation. All right? Well, uh, I learned also something else that uh, CRISPR uh, has eliminated cancer. Uh, or I, I'm sorry, actually not CRISPR, a, a CRISPR, uh, a similar gene editing tool called Talon that, that works in a similar fashion. An, an infant girl uh, had lymphoblastic leukemia, a serious form of blood cancer. After trying traditional cancer treating methods such as chemotherapy and bone marrow transplants, the doctors decided to use gene editing technologies in a last dish, ditch effort to save the girl's life by altering the immune system T-cells of a donor to more effectively locate and kill leukemia cells without attacking the girl's body, doctors successfully eliminated her cancer. That's fucking incredible to me. They created a new kind of little cell, basically, to go fucking fight the cancer. Wow. So curing cancer, uh, and basically it sounds to me like potentially uh, curing almost all diseases, that's fucking huge. What an impact that could have on so many ways in the planet, right? So many ways. Uh, makes me makes me wonder though, like like could we be there now? Like you know, in, in a much wider wider scale. Somebody wrote in at, uh, to me about this. Actually, kind of posed this problem, where it's like like I wonder if this if this kind of technology could exist right now. What if we could cure cancer right now? Here's the conspiracy theory, me theorist in me. But think about all the pressure against curing disease. Think about the pharmaceutical industry, how powerful and large it is. The, just the medical industry in general, like one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest sectors for job growth. <laughs> what if all of a sudden uh, most of their customers didn't fucking need them anymore, right? Because geneticists uh, figured out how to cure these diseases. You don't think on some level uh, behind the scenes there's going to be some serious political pressure to fucking slow that down because of the impact it could have on the economy? I don't know. I don't know. That's, a whole, that's a whole other side fucking conspiracy issue. <laughs> but anyway – what else could CRISPR lead to, you know, besides, you know, curing diseases? Well, scientists say that uh, one day they could edit viable embryos to eliminate disease uh, before, you know, they ever, uh, you know, become become adults or even regular people. Uh, and also, kind of what I talked about earlier, just uh, various attributes like stronger babies, smarter babies, babies with only blue eyes, you know, Gattaca territory basically. Uh, and a lot of scientists are, uh, believe that this is going to happen and that it's going to lead to a new era of humanity, the transhuman era. I hadn't heard of that before. Transhumanism uh, being defined uh, according to uh, uh, transhumanism.org as a way of thinking about the future that is based on the premise that the human species in its current form does not represent the end of our development, but rather a comparatively early phase. And transhumanists believe that the transhumans phase is just an intermediary phase on our way to becoming posthumans, defined as future beings whose basic cap uh, capacities are so radically have so radically exceeded those of present humans as that they are no longer uh, unambiguously human by our current standards. Post-humans, as I referenced in the Mandela Effect episode, could be human-designed artificial intelligence programs that have continued to evolve after organic uh, human extinction, some kind of Terminator Skynet shit, or post-humans could be humans whose genetic code has been modified and engineered uh, so much that they're essentially a different species than today's humans. How fucking crazy is that? Modify ourselves into essentially a new race of beings. I think you go far enough into the future, there's almost no limit to what we're capable of, you know, with achieving with technology and biotechnology. And all this reminds me of a book I read uh, years ago called Ilium, uh, written by the incredibly talented Peoria, Illinois author Dan Simmons, a true genius in my opinion. And uh, Ilium's a heavy read, but it's a good read. Uh, it's set far, far in the future in some post-human era. 
a future where a few post-humans have evolved themselves into real replication of the gods of Greek mythology from the Iliad. And they rule from Mars over a brand of unevolved humans on Earth as actual all-powerful gods. They're immortal. They're superhuman. How? Well, they modified themselves to become that way through extreme genetic modification combined with the development of artificial intelligence and nanotechnology. You know, what if we combine nanotechnology with genetic engineering? What if tiny little robots, and I'm talking tiny little robots injected into our bloodstream, could continually repair our DNA as it breaks down? Continually renew us. What if tech transfusions could eternally replace the nanobots as those things break down? We could be immortal. The aging process could theoretically be stopped. You know, at least some of us could. You know, we could possess uh, superhuman strength, superhuman reflexes, cognitive abilities we literally can't even comprehend now. How cool is that? Well, in the book, it is really cool for the very, very, very few people who possess it. The upper 1% of the upper 1% of the upper 1% of the world's wealthy elite. So basically, if your last name isn't, you know, like Rothschild or Rockefeller, you're fucked. And that's a big ethical argument with genetic engineering. You know, will the benefits be passed on to everyone? There's no way. There's no way they will be. Just like not everybody gets to go to an Ivy League school or be a CEO, not everybody's going to benefit from the new technology. So what if only the wealthy do? You know, will genetic engineering turn the wealthy into some kind of new race of superhuman overlords who rule over the genetically inferior poor? That sounds fucking terrible. Well, uh, I was wondering, then are, are, are any ilium-like genetic modifications available to adults now? Ah, bummer. No, not yet. Nope, we can't modify ourselves anyway uh, that would give us any superhuman capabilities uh, just yet. I was kind of bummed when I found that out. Part of me was hoping against all reason and sanity to come across some kind of article where tests were being done to give people super, superhuman strength or some kind of X-Men shit, you know, some kind of Wolverine stuff, stuff a comic book legend. I was hoping it was maybe becoming reality, some part of me. And maybe it will in 500 or 100 or 50 years, you know. Could we eventually reinforce someone's skeleton with some virtually indestructible material, re-engineer the biology to allow them to heal themselves almost instantaneously? Yeah, why not? I think so. I think we probably will be able to do that stuff if we don't go extinct first. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to fly around like Superman or shoot webs out of our wrists like dumbass Spider-Man. But some version of Wolverine, I think that's going to happen. And with the evolution of military tech, I think a Batman or Iron Man could be right around the corner. I really do. Strange times we're living in, man. I think they're going to get a hell of a lot stranger. Okay. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of weird shit here. We're talking about a lot of weird stuff. But uh, really, here, here's the big million-dollar question of this episode. Just because we can do all of this, and it looks like it's only a matter of time before we can. Should we do it? What are the true ethical considerations involving the future of genetic modification, transhumanism, and post-humanism? Well, to look uh, at the future of that, I actually looked at the past. Uh, I started, uh, before I researched this episode, by reading uh, a book that was written in 1931 and published in 1932. It's a book called Brave New World, uh, written by British fiction author uh, Aldous Huxley. And I highly recommend it. In 1999, the Modern Library and American Publishing House ranked Brave New World fifth on its list of the 100 best English language novels of the 20th century. And they did it for a reason. Uh, Brave New World, set in London in the year A.D. 2540, 2540, 632 AF, after Ford in the book. <laughs> uh, yes, they used uh, Ford, uh, like Henry Ford, to mark time. And basically, Aldous uh, creates a world where humanity itself has been modeled after a Ford automobile assembly plant which is going to be in people's minds, you know, back in his day as the age of manufacturing plants and mass production was really just kind of getting moving. Uh, in all this futuristic world, all human beings are created factory style in batches. All of them are altered except for a handful of humans who live on futuristic Native American reservations where they live walled in, unassisted, undisturbed. And they're just kind of, uh, it's like a human zoo. They're viewed by, you know, civilized society as a curiosity. 
some kind of living artifact from a simpler time. Silly examples of an outdated primitive era. Well, in, in the new human creating centers, uh, which have been uh, replaced, uh, which have replaced natural conception entirely, humans are genetically modified beginning at artificial conception to be members of various classes, the alpha class, beta, gammas, uh, and uh, epsilons. And deltas, excuse me. And, uh, and each of these classes were identical uniforms. And each class or caste shares genetic traits, like alphas are smarter, taller, and better looking than betas, and so on down the line. And within each caste or class, there's a little variation. You can be an alpha plus, or you can be an alpha minus, or just a basic alpha. And it's printed on your uniform, and everyone uh, from, a, from a class has the same color of uniform, so you can t- see them coming. So everybody knows exactly where you stand uh, within your class. Uh, the alphas are society's intellectuals, college professors, leaders, scientists, etc., the betas are skilled workers, you know, mid-level managers, technicians, etc. The gammas are semi-skilled workers. The deltas are low-skilled workers. And then the lowly epsilons uh, essentially clean the toilets and dig the ditches. And each of these classes are created in child centers. Each of their destiny is predetermined. Alphas are modified to be handsome or beautiful with strong leadership skills, muscular physiques, extreme intelligence. Epsilons, by contrast, have oxygen limited to their fetuses at critical points during b- brain development – uh, and are given other setbacks, they're created to be uh, below average in, in every single way. And these kids are raised in batches, dozens big, where each kid in the batch is identical in every way to the others in that batch, all created from a single egg that has been modified to replicate many times over. They're clones of each other, and they're brainwashed from birth to accept their role. Epsilons, for example, are given books as toddlers, but when they touch the book, they're shocked. They are <laughs> actually shocked, and this is repeated over and over. It's classical behaviors conditioning, gives them a strong negative association with books. And this is nurtured into a negative association with knowledge in general as they grow older. Well, all disease uh, for all the classes has been genetically altered out of existence. Genes have been altered so that no one ages in the normal way. You enjoy a youthful existence right up until you turn 60 uh, when you're snuffed out and cremated to prevent overpopulation. And you don't even care if you're going to be put down because you were brainwashed early on to accept death is no big deal. And everyone in every class is is brainwashed to accept their role wholeheartedly. They literally don't want to be a member of any other class. They they feel like, like if you're an epsilon, you're brainwashed to think – that the alphas uh, have it hard. They have it way harder than you. They got to make all these decisions. That sounds terrible. If you're an alpha, you're brainwashed to think the epsilons are just fucking dirty shitheads and what a horrible existence they have and you're so lucky to be an alpha. So everybody's happy and everybody's able to like look down on the other classes in their own kind of way. Uh, the family unit is abolished in Brave New World. Everyone belongs to everyone else. Everyone is programmed to have sex with anyone they wish. You're not allowed to turn uh, someone down. You're not allowed to be in a monogamous relationship. Close emotional relationships of any kind are forbidden because emotion of this kind can lead to pain. And this is a, a, a world free of emotional pain. Uh, everyone takes a special drug called Soma that is more powerful and pleasant than any drug we have now. It's euphoric. Everyone's happy. There's no competition. Everyone plays the same two games. Everyone shares the same political and religious ideology. Everyone listens to the same music. Everyone eagerly accepts their role in society and each other. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And while no one has anything to complain about in this brave new world, as you read it, you start to wonder, do they also have anything to fucking live for? You start to wonder, is struggle part of the human condition, an essential part? Do we need struggle to feel uh, fulfilled? You know, this novel makes you think like, would a world like that be better than our own? A world where everything has been modified to perfection and no one ever suffers. No one starves. You know, no one dies of disease. Isn't there value in that? No more misery. But would you also lose real joy? Do you need the yin and the yang? You know, would you want to live in a world where art that comes from suffering no longer exists? No more songs by tortured rock stars because no one feels tortured. No more Van Goghs, no more Dollies, no more individualism, no more philosophers, no more fiction authors, just mindless games, mindless drugs, casual sex, and dedication forever to keeping things the way 
they are right now. Endless preservation of the new status quo. Would that comfort be worth sacrificing passion? Would you give up romantic love with all the pain that inevitably comes with it for limitless sexual encounters, sexual encounters that could never develop in anything more than that? Would you want to trade grief and mourning the loss of loved ones for no loved ones at all? Would you end world hunger for a life led exactly the same way as everyone else's life? A uh, character, or at least everyone in your class, you know, a character in the book makes an interesting point about religion too, stating that religion comes from suffering. The belief in a higher power is usually associated with the need for some supernatural being to right the wrongs you endure in this world. When do people pray the hardest? When, when life's at its worst? What if you literally had no problems? What if everything was taken care of? What if you were brainwashed and no longer feared death? Would there still be a need for God? Would you be willing to give up your spirituality if it meant no longer having to fear death? It's fucking heavy stuff. And even if you believe uh, that we shouldn't tinker around with Mother Nature, that we should hold on to our struggle and torment that having work uh, or having to work for something makes achieving it feel so much sweeter than when it's just handed to you, can we stop the genetic modification trajectory we're already on? Is is a brave new world kind of inevitable? Well, I don't think we can stop it. Uh, Just like people, countries themselves are competitive and want to become bigger, stronger, continually marching forward, continually progressing. I feel like the need to do that to perpetually push forward is hardwired into our DNA. We're evolved to want to continue to evolve. That's the kind, uh, that's what we humans do best, you know, march forward into the unknown. Take the next step in medicine, tech, etc., etc., (laughs) without worrying about the long-term consequences of our current actions. And if we cared enough about our long-term health, nuclear weapons would have never been invented. So what I take away from this episode is that ready or not, here we come, designer babies. Here we come, genetic modification. If we don't do it, someone else will. Maybe China, maybe South Korea, Singapore, Japan, maybe Germany or Russia or South Africa. Someone's going to take the next leap and then, at, and then the one after that and so on and so on and so on. And I got to say, I'm nervous, but I'm fucking excited too. I'm not sure it's the best thing for the, our planet or humanity, but all this progress with genetic modification, AI, nanotechnology, all this talk of transhumanism and posthumanism, it's exciting as hell to me. And maybe if we do it right, maybe we can find some nice balance between our present you know, reality of, of struggle uh, of, you know, of torment and joy, failure and triumph, and, and find some balance between that and then the reality that laid out, uh, that was laid out in Huxley's Brave New World. I don't know, a little happy medium. I don't know. I think that's the best, best, best case we can hope for. And now, uh, let's take one last look at all this madness. I know this was a fucking brainy one, uh, with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, CRISPR is not, in fact, a painful venereal disease you can pick up on a camping trip. Uh, It's a more uh, powerful uh, new method of genetic code manipulation that's going to end up giving us much more than just tiny pigs. It may even wipe out disease as we know it, but not anytime soon because the conspiracy theorist that lives inside of me thinks about how if disease gets wiped out, you know, the entire medical and insurance industry is going to be in a lot of fucking trouble, which makes me think pharmaceutical companies are going to slow down this research as much as humanly possible through lobbying for more and more research-killing government regulation. Number two, hormones in milk are probably not, according to scientists, quote, putting pubes on your son's ball sack or hairs on your daughter's puss before they should be there, end quote. And yes, Bojangles assures me that is in fact a direct scientific quote from the head of all science. Number three, Michael McDonald may have been a CIA operative working to prevent communism from spreading to South Korea in the early 80s. Can I prove that? Of course I cannot. But can you disprove it for sure? Exactly. 
Number four, genetic modification is going to inevitably lead to incredible advancements in humanity, which is terribly exciting if you're rich and actually get to enjoy them. Uh, the rest of us are probably doomed to be mere lowly epsilons, but, you know, hey, it's not like being poor in the future is going to be any worse than being poor now. So don't get too bummed out about future you. At least you'll be healthier. Number five, scientists tell us that GMO foods are generally safe, which makes me feel uh, generally nervous about eating them. Except lactose-free milk. I don't care if that shit ends up giving me a second head that does nothing but slobber and smack its lips. I want my gas-free cheese, goddammit. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening to this first sponsored edition of Time Suck. I'm so excited. I hope I can pass on more and more deals to you going forward from companies that I fucking like and use. How cool is that? Listen to the show you already like, free, uh, and get some shopping discounts. Win, win. All right. A couple of tour dates coming up. Going to be at the University Inn in Moscow, Idaho this Saturday, May 6th. Two shows, one at 6 p.m., one at 9 p.m. I believe they're both almost sold out. Uh, one may even already be sold out. So if you want to try and get a ticket, uh, you got to call 208-882-0550 very soon. Um, I'll be at the Historic uh, Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco, May 10th through the 13th. Uh, I'll also be uh, just north of Los Angeles at Levity Live in Oxnard, California, May 26, 27, and 28. Sorry that the, <laughs> the dates on my uh, uh, website have not been updated. That, that date moved a long time ago, and i gotta, I got to update my website. But the dates on, on Levity Live's website are correct. I'll be there May 26, 27, and 28. And, uh, and I'm already excited for next week's episode, man. Next week, we're going to suck on the fucking cult of Jim Jones. Right? A lot of requests for that one. It's one of the first episodes I thought about doing when I first started doing Time Suck. Uh, Glad we are finally getting to it. Jim Jones was a pastor, uh, communist ideologist, I didn't know that, Uh, social activist for racial equality, didn't know that, uh, who won the Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award from Pastor Cecil Williams in 1977. And then the very next year, he went batshit fucking crazy. So how did a charismatic champion for civil rights decide on November 18, 1978 to kill over 900 Americans who'd chosen to live in his Jonestown compound in Guyana and also kill himself in what would be the greatest single loss of American civilian life taken in a deliberate non-military action until the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001? Find out who this man was, why he did what he did, and so much more as we go full crazy, full crazy, full death cult and drink the Kool-Aid Next Monday at noon, Pacific Daylight Time. So have a great week, everybody. Keep spreading the suck. Keep on sucking. Yamo time suck. Ho, ho, ho. Yamo time suck. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. 
This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my better help therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.